You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Good morning, listeners. Hey, listeners. So this is a very important warning. I want everyone to be aware of this. Look, we record this in the United States. And as Americans, we like to bedazzle everything. You don't know what bedazzling is. We put jewels and little gems. You can put them on your denim jackets, on your pants, on your handbag, all over the place. And you can put them on your steering wheel, damn it. And now, NHTSA. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is warning consumers about aftermarket steering wheel decals that could potentially cause significant injury or death. Why don't they want us to have sparkly things, Michael? Why? Well, it's similar to why they've done a few recalls in the past where manufacturers have emblems affixed to your the front of your steering wheel that are coming loose. Um, when the airbag deploys, that emblem, if it's loose, or those bedazzled rhinestones you put on your steering wheel can cause significant injury. Uh, NHTSA cited the case of a driver being blinded um, in one eye, I believe, by uh, some rhinestone, basically stickers uh, on the steering wheel. Um, and that's really the the crux of the issue. There are they're basically little projectiles that people are fixing to their steering wheels. And you should never do that. Well, I want to get a Mercedes and just loosen the album, album, you know, the logo thing and, uh, you know, have it project and I, I get it smacked in my head. So I walk around with a Mercedes like a free star. tattoo. Yeah. It is a free tattoo with a little bit of brain damage on the side. Um, but it's it's interesting, you know, in this case, I can't imagine how many people are manufacturing stickers to put on your anywhere in your car. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you can take a sticker intended for any spot and put it on your steering wheel. So this really doesn't just apply to stickers specifically manufactured to put on your, your steering wheel. Um, so there's a lot of manufacturers. I think that NHTSA would have had to go after here. It probably would have been kind of fruitless to do so. Um, and so they, you know, this really isn't a recall situation is, is what I'm getting at. There's a consumer warning aspect here. I mean, you have to understand as a consumer not to put stickers or any sort of objects anywhere near where airbags might be deploying. That doesn't just go for your steering wheel. Um, that could go for, you know, by your knee where your knee airbags are passenger side um where the curtain airbags deploy so basically don't bedazzle the interior of your vehicle bedazzle <laughs> yeah. the outside of it hey yeah, is, is today michael's turn to be debbie downer because that's usually my job are we yeah, switching right? roles here <laughs> yeah can i still have a disco ball inside my car well, I mean, if it's firmly affixed in a manner where it won't become detached during a crash and injure an occupant, you know, I would say go firmly, for it. You have that type of engineering background. Firmly affixed? I don't think you understand the point of a disco ball, man. Well, it can be so let it go. fixed and still rotate, Anthony. Uh, I think, hey, maybe no. that's the point of the LIDARs on the outside of the Waymo vehicles. They really look like disco balls. They that glitter be. and dance and spin around. They're very nice. <laughs> oh my word so look you know 
NHTSA government regulations going after our freedoms to be bedazzled. Okay, all the time. All right, don't bedazzle your car and, and don't put knives in your vents. Um, is that what they're going to ask next? Don't put sharp objects inside your car? Shameful. Well, I mean, people routinely drive around with um, loose objects in their car. I mean, I know we all probably do it without too much thought. Um, I do try to keep sharp objects and other things secured in the trunk if possible, but it's, you know, there are always going to be, you know, groceries or all sorts of other things that are in your car that can injure you in a crash. So it's something that a lot of us don't think about enough because of, I guess, the low odds of getting into a crash, but a lot of injuries are caused by objects in the vehicle that aren't connected to the vehicle. Crazy. Uh, speaking of crazy, Hey, welcome to the GM Cruise Sucks show. Okay, that's not what it is. I, I, I'm I'm personally even getting tired of talking about GM Cruise. But it's if you're so getting tired fun. about it, then then I, I know. We're done. <laughs> I, I know, but you know, Kyle's keep Kylan. So uh, as I think we mentioned last week, uh, California said GM Cruise you can't run in our state anymore. Uh, GM Cruise a couple days later is like, oh, we're going to stop our autonomous operations throughout the entire country. We're going to reflect and, and stare into our navel and figure out what we can do better. GM Cruise's board of directors is like, you know, we're going to hire a law firm to look into this and uh, a consulting firm to look into the engineering on it. Which, if your name's Kyle, that's not a good sign for your job stability. You know, you know when, when your board of directors is like... I think we're going to hire some adults here to come in and look over, uh, you know, Skippy's work. Uh, let's uh, let's think things through here. Yeah, they're looking, I think, specifically into how crews managed to omit from, you know, press briefings and discussions with the California DMV and from their initial report standing general order report to NHTSA how they omitted the fact that a secondary movement of the vehicle occurred post crash that could have enhanced the injuries to the pedestrian. We don't really have any information on that, but um, it's, you know, NHTSA opened an investigation in the last couple of weeks, and now uh, GM has come out and, and recalled the the, the software. Um, they're not recalling the car, mind you. This is a um, equipment recall because the vehicle itself isn't dangerous it's only a safety risk once they install the robot driver into the system so um if you're looking for it under vehicle recalls on NHTSA's website you won't find it yeah so the new york times they wrote an article about this and quoting from that article which we have a link to Company insiders are putting the blame for what went wrong in a tech industry culture led by the 38-year-old Mr. Vaught that put a priority on the speed of the program over safety. In the competition between Cruise and its top driverless car rival Waymo, Mr. Vaught wanted to dominate in the same way Uber dominated its smaller ride-hailing competitor, Lyft. Kyle is a guy willing to take risks, and he's willing to move quickly. He is very Silicon Valley, said Matthew Walensky, a professor at Cardoza School of Law in New York. Um, that's not what you want in a car system. He's willing to take risks with, not with his life, but with your life and the lives of just random people on the street. Uh, that's, that's probably not the best approach, but you know, what, what do I know? I mean, one of the things that kind of stands out in this whole, you know, whole circumstance to me is 
if you were putting these vehicles out on the street and you have not contemplated how to properly respond in the post-crash environment without, you know, risking further injury to, um, you know, pedestrians or people in other cars or anyone who's, who's around the accident, then there's got to be something wrong with your entire planning here you know you you're you're not taking into account a lot of the things like to a to a human driver it's obvious that if there's a person trapped in your car you don't move the car um it's not obvious to the computer installed in these cruise vehicles and that suggests that they probably haven't thought about a lot of other things that could happen either and how are they going to ensure that they've taken care of those things before they come back out and put these on the road? I don't know. But so Kyle refused to be interviewed by the New York Times for this. Um, and instead, he replied on Hacker News, which is, I don't know, just like a little web board. Because uh, in the article, the New York Times writes that uh, that the cruise workers, humans, need to interview intervene to assist the company's vehicles every two and a half to five miles. Uh, Kyle's like, hey, just want to let you know it's actually two to four percent of the time we uh, we remotely assist things, uh, which is I, I don't know why you wouldn't respond to The New York Times versus being on some weird little message board. But well, that's, great because of the, that's because The New York Times has professional reporters. Oh, but this is great because you read through the thread and some people have some great questions in there. One person's question was, where are these remote assistant human drivers located and how have they been screened for temporarily driving the vehicles in these cities? Do they have U.S. driver's license? How is this regulated? And that's a great question. Like, you know, where are these remote assistant people located? Is it just can it be anybody? Is there any regulations on who remotely drives a car? No, there's not. There's also no regulations on how many vehicles they can be remotely responsible for at once either, which it seems like, you know, there's, I think they said there were 15 to 20 that were one person was responsible for here. And I'm, you know, depending on the circumstances or how many of your cars are screwing up at once, I, I don't know that that seems like a very safe system or at least a fallback system that relies on a human uh, that's going to be necessarily delayed in their responses. And I, I think there's going to be some lag between, you know, the, the vehicle's operation communicating what it's doing back to headquarters and then the signal going back out from headquarters to telling the vehicle what to do. So, this isn't exactly a, a live or real time type of response that's going on here. Well, what would you think the, the official definition of remote driver or remote assistance is? I have no idea. I imagine a little kid in his driveway with an RC controller. Like I. But the answer is there's no official definition. It is whatever <laughs> the hell the uh, manufacturer wants it to be. So when they talk about remote drivers, we've all got this mind, you know, idea in mind of what it is. Somebody who can intervene and actually take control of the car. Well, that's not what they've got. They've got <laughs> they've got a phone line and they have a message that goes into people, and uh, they actually have to have a human being come out to take control, physical control of the vehicle, if they're going to reroute or to you know, take over the operations, intervene in the operations. So uh, again, you, you dive into the definitions and you find there's no there there. There's uh, there's really just this this fog of confusion and greed that's running this whole program. So GM Cruise, they spend it's what two over two billion dollars a year on this 
project. They're losing money. And one of the things they want to do is they want to get rid of human drivers because human drivers, safety drivers cost money and they go to the bathroom and they like, hey, we want you know medical benefits. So they want to get rid of that because that's a cost. And now I imagine they can never fully get rid of these remote drivers. I imagine they're going to say, hey, where's the lowest cost we can get for these remote drivers? And all you of a sudden they're going to outsource them to bing, another country. Bing, bing, right? bing. Yep. Doesn't that yeah. really mess up your latency? Like, how, how do you send a signal to whatever? You know, it's presumably going to be somewhere not in this hemisphere. Um, how do you send a signal that far in back to a car and expect there to be any safety margins there? It just I- seems like there's too much time involved. Well, what could possibly go wrong when you have a person's life at risk and you're <laughs> relying on intercontinental communications to save that person's life? What could possibly go wrong? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Everything's good in the future. Everything's good in the future. Speaking of the future, I apologize, listeners. I pressed the wrong button for recording this. So- so it is recording, but I realize it's recording to the cloud. So some of the audio may not be perfect or may be perfect. And I've just figured out a way to save myself a bunch of time by not having to edit things as normally as I do. Uh, sorry about that. That's a little aside. And Michael's giving me a smirk like, why are you here? No, I'm just uh, going, is it going to actually be recorded? It is going to be recorded. That only failed on us one time. It was a good time. Well, uh, I think that that was actually apropos for the comment about where are these interactions <laughs> taking place for the cruise remote drivers? Exactly. Uh, if you things put happen. the in charge of it, you know, it's trouble. <laughs> So another link in our uh, in our description here we have is to a uh, a CNBC video, and it's kind of interesting. It goes through whole Waymo and Cruise, you know, getting in those cars throughout the city. And one scenario that was in the video that I never thought about, and we never mentioned this, this show was uh, this woman's in a in a Cruise or a Waymo, I'm not sure which, and a car in front is stops because they're trying to back in parallel park in a spot. But, you know, as you normally do when you're driving, like you're a little farther ahead. Oh, this person put on their turn signal. You see that. Hey, can I have space to back up? You back up. The automated vehicle couldn't handle this everyday occurrence. And instead, the driver gets out and he's shaking his fist, kicking the car like, what the hell is going on? Beep, beep, boop, boop. And angry as can be. And this woman's in the back like, I am afraid. And I think she contacted remote support and they're like, Are, do you feel safe? Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, it's crazy. Like, that is a very common occurrence. And that concerns me. Like, they don't have that scenario programmed into their system. Like, how many other basic things are they missing? Like, what are they going to do? Drive into wet cement? Ha! Well, I mean, as many little weird quirks that that these vehicles seem to have you're going to have to imagine that in you know it's going to create a little road rage we definitely saw that in that video um that guy was not happy he was attacking the vehicle i i don't know if you know it certainly scared the passenger i'm not sure if you know her life was in danger but that's a, a scenario that i think is probably played out quite a few times in san francisco and now probably in austin and arizona and other places where <laughs> can you imagine getting out of your car I, I i would never advocate for anyone getting out of their car and confronting a driver it just doesn't make any sense but if you do that and you see there is no driver <laughs> where do you take out your anger then it looks like he took it out on the car 
Um, well, he, he kicked the car several times and spit at it, and then the crews responded appropriately and went around the car. So <laughs> yeah, maybe that's programmed in. Who knows? <laughs> okay. If an automated vehicle is in your way, spit at it. <laughs> it, will, it will adjust to that. <laughs> I mean, the car doesn't want to get COVID. I get it. Uh, well, until they open up their source code, let people know what the parameters are. I guess it's, you know, as good a response as any. Yeah, dirty hippie. You want them to open their source code? Huh. So, sorry. <laughs> you won't, yeah, you won't bedazzle anything in your life, will you? So, continuing with our, our uh, lovely I was GM. Just thinking, I think I did yeah. once bedazzle something, but it was a long ago. It was a youthful indiscretion. But uh, It was when you were hanging out with your buddy Tim Leary. Uh, so anyway, back to the present, be here now, like Eckhart Tolle would say, uh, GM Cruz, uh, was, you know, Kyle's been talking about forever about, um, saying, Hey, I can, I've seen the cyber truck. I can create something uglier. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's uglier, the cruise origin, which is the no, no pedals, no steering wheel, um, two bench seats staring at strangers vehicle that he's been touting as being the greatest thing possible. Well, they've, uh, GM Cruz said, well, we, let's stop production of that. Uh, let's, uh, I think, uh, well, they've halted. I mean, I don't know if they've totally stopped, but they're suspending production for now. Right? I mean, what's the difference between stop and, and suspend? Oh, stopping suggests they're not going to do it anymore. Um, you know, I, I know Honda pulled out of this project last week. I think they were planning to introduce it into Japan at some point. Um, you know, Kyle announced a few couple of three months ago that the regulatory approval for these vehicles was coming any day. We still haven't seen that. Um, and now they've shut down production of them. So I'm not sure what all this means in, you know, is it related to the cruise issue in, in their other vehicles in San Francisco? Possibly. Um, is it related to Honda pulling out? Possibly. Is it a combination of all these things? Probably. Uh, it's not indicating they're willing to approve it yet. And some of the other problems they've had. I think there's a competition between the Origin and Cybertruck for the ugliest possible vehicle. And with the latest pre-production uh, Cybertruck that's been savaged in the press in Los Angeles, maybe Origin thought it was time to take a pause and find some way to make that vehicle even uglier. <laughs> How do you make it uglier? That's the thing I don't know. There's got to be a way. I, you know that You've seen the ugly dog contest that goes around every year. and I'm sure this is equivalent ugly vehicle contest but cybertruck's definitely in the lead right now i i i think that uh you know it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out yeah so i i personally think they, they stopped the cruise origin because once your board of directors hires a law firm and outside consultants to review your work they're like hey let's uh you know, let's let's who gave the gun to the baby here? Let's yeah. uh, let's stop. Let's go back and make sure we connected all the dots on this other vehicle we're producing. Yeah, because yeah. as as somebody who's done consulting for a living, when a client calls me up and says, hey, we don't trust our current consultant. We're going to hire you to review their work. I always have that first conversation with them being like, hey, I don't want to be here and you don't want me here either. Like you messed up. That's why I'm I'm here. And so I think that's kind of what's going on. GM realizes, oh, wait, we can't really keep spending two and a half billion dollars for something that's, you know, not going to pay off this decade and possibly not next decade. But, hey, I don't invest in GM. What the hell do I know? 
Uh, but back to the ugliness of the Cybertruck, there's a uh, a fun little article we have a link to um, where Tesla's Elon says that the Cybertruck, you know, uh, was supposed to come out in what, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, It's coming out in three weeks, he claims. It's coming out in three weeks. This is uh, currently being recorded November 8th, 2023. So uh, the end of November 2023. There's been some pre-production Tesla Cybertrucks seen out on the streets. Uh, They regularly break down. Uh, They regularly don't work as trucks. There's a a good footage of them in some off-road track and they couldn't get up a little hill. Uh, There is a, their designer took them to some coffee and car thing and uh, it literally looked like I assembled it, like it was a piece of Ikea furniture in that nothing lined up properly. It's, it's, um, I I don't understand. Now, could I be wrong? Like what, by pre-production vehicle, does that, I'm under the impression that means that like, hey, we're just, you know, finishing up tooling. Like we're, we're ready to go. This is, this is feature complete. Or is that not right? Is this because it looks it literally looks like it, it's Ikea furniture that I, I assembled. I, don't know. I mean, range. at this point, I don't know if you should believe any of the crap that comes out of that company on some of the things like this. They drag it out forever. They use all sorts of words to describe things in ways that are misleading. Um, and it's the ugliest truck on earth. I can't imagine anyone driving it unless you're a complete dick. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just baffled by the demand for vehicles that that look like that it's going to weigh over seven thousand pounds it's gonna you know the first time you drive through bugs on the highway it's going to mess up your stainless steel forever i mean it's just a nightmare well what do you really think michael i just had to put that out there it's i think i'm almost i'm 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 probably sicker of hearing and talking about Cybertruck as anyone because they're not even on the road yet endangering people too much but there's just oh so much fluff in the media about their bulletproof nature and all these other things that really don't make them nothing they can do now will make that truck uh something that your average human being ever wants to drive um and there's no way they're going to be wildly popular they're certainly not solving any environmental issues they're probably creating some um issues with their weight on the roads and crashes and they don't carry much at all and they're i don't know i I, i'll stop now (laughs) elon fanboys you can write to michael brooks at contact at autosafety.org uh yeah so in this uh the one that was at this coffee and cars event it was wrapped in black vinyl and this is not a safety issue so much but i don't so it didn't have that stainless steel delorean 1985 look to it um it's all the minecraft angles but it was wrapped in black vinyl and this is a very naive question i guess but i i'm familiar with vinyl like how do, do you how do you wash this do you just like run it through a car wash or do you i don't understand i don't know i you know maybe the answer is that they're trying to generate some additional revenue by periodically slapping on more vinyl with advertising for joe's plumber service you've seen all those around town right and sure that maybe that's how they're going to finally make money off of this thing but uh you know this article did go on to say that even though it was wrapped in crappy vinyl plastic tesla didn't take the trouble to apply it correctly and there was full of bubbles and gaps and you know uh, like a three-year-old had put it on there so I, I don't know. It's a mystery. 
I, I think that uh, my guess is that Mr. Musk is tired of dumping money into this thing. He just wants to either sell it or put a bullet in it. I, I <laughs> just, I don't know. Hey, it's bulletproof. Okay. Look, oh, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> The, the bullet won't work, by the way. They certainly proved that at the demonstration a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. When uh, for the for the readers who don't know, they demonstrated the indestructibility of the Cybertruck by hitting it with a baseball bat, which promptly broke all the glass that was uh, <laughs> whose invulnerability was being demonstrated. So it was a. Aside. It was a steel ball. It wasn't a baseball bat. It was a steel ball. And they're like, look. And they had this graphic behind it that it could stop a nine millimeter bullet with however many grams and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, they just they didn't even like throw the ball hard. <laughs> I don't I, don't I stand correct. Thank you for that correction. <laughs> sure. Uh, listeners, I know you're not average like Michael is and doesn't want a cyber truck. So you're if you listen to the show, you're above average. Tell us when you're going to get your delivery of your cyber cuck, cyber truck, um, and and let us know how that's going to make you feel. If it will make you feel like a real boy, um, yeah. Uh, all right, let's let's continue with uh, some Elon. How about that? So there was a is there's it's a bit of a problem with Tesla's uh, major def- design flaw. So uh, for their ADAS, their automated driver assistance system, which they call things like full self-driving and autopilot. And it's just, it's, it's no, really not that much different than what my uh, Toyota Corolla has. Okay. Um, they, uh, so this is from a link in futurism.com. We, we find some fun websites in a thread on the R slash Tesla motors subreddit. A Tesla driver found that their brand new Model 3 has a major design flaw. The defroster lines, designed to quickly clear up fogged up or icy windshields, apparently failed to clear up the vehicle's driver assistance cameras, triggering repeated takeover immediately messages. Uh, And Elon has been a very big proponent of saying we our cars don't need radar they don't need lidar this is stupid i'm a person i use my eyes and it works fine so why does my car need more than eyeballs and cameras and it turns out his uh eyeballs are fogged up and frozen over um yeah and it looked like an internal like the fog developed on the inside of the camera and you know this all just points to cameras are not good enough on their own to do really any of the things that Musk has been touting Tesla's as being able to do. They're going to need some different sensors. You know, cameras are still going to be useful as part of their sensor packages, but there's just not enough there. And if any, I don't know, this, this could go afoul of, you know, NHTSA does have safety standards around window defroster and defogging system. You know, they, they, if, if they, you know, typically they're geared though towards the actual windshield being defrosted or defogged so that the consumer or the driver can see out of the windshield. I don't believe right now they apply to sensors. However, um, if that sensor is connected to the A, the automatic emergency braking system or some other safety critical system, you know, perhaps the NHTSA standards coming down the line on AEB will address that. Um, I'm not sure that they do though. Um, but it would be great if, you know, like we talked about last week or two weeks ago, if there were some type of, you know, self test before the vehicle starts that could eliminate problems like this. That would be a, a great thing to have. Uh, 
the other we talked about last week, I think it was last week, there was a super fog event out in New Orleans. And one of the questions I asked of Fred, he likes to ask us multiple questions, multiple guesses, uh, was, hey, do these cameras work in fog and whatnot? And uh, they they don't. And uh, radar LIDAR should work fine. But if you have a Tesla, uh, pull over and wait for the fog to pass, I guess, is is the best thing to to do. Go back to New Orleans. Yeah, turn around. Well, I don't the problem think is you, you can't turn around at that point. You're on a very long bridge. Yeah. Hopefully there's a there's a shoulder you can go cry on um, and wait for the fog to pass. And uh, it's also a problem. You know, you're on a long bridge that doesn't really have a place to pull over. Right. Um, you're almost compelled to continue to drive with traffic even just to reach the next exit and then you can get off. I mean, it's, it's a, there's some, I, I guess, in, in, you know, when you're on the interstate with hundreds of other vehicles, there's a little bit of peer pressure involved here. You can't be the guy that stops in the right lane because you're not comfortable driving in fog. You're somewhat compelled to continue driving and that's unsafe. I guess it's a feeling many of us encounter when we get into a thunderstorm that turns really, really heavy, really quick. And it's hard to see out of your windshield. Yes. Yeah, so this is the, problem we're gonna get into ADAS a little bit more the automated driving assisting systems assistant systems assisting assistant it's advanced driver assistant system well there you go I'll take that one as an answer Uh, because Tesla they've been promoting this as hey the car drives itself they had this video out in 2016 we're like "Eh, it was great but it was a doctored video and it you know, the car crashed into a dumpster. It did all sorts of things. Um, but they've been saying this and they say, hey, it was called autopilot. It's called full self-driving, blah, blah, blah. An article in MSN has a great line on it. Uh, the biggest concern is that while autopilot is labeled and promoted as a feature that enhances the driver's safety, it appears to do the very opposite, endanger the driver's lice, life <laughs> and probably their lice too. Police have made arrests on individuals who are spotted in moving vehicles while the driver's seat was empty. Judging from such behaviors, it's clear that some drivers mistakenly understood autopilot as a self-driving vehicle where you can literally take your hands off the steering wheel and eyes off the road and let the car drive itself. Uh, basically, this article goes on to say that uh, it takes some data from Consumer Reports who did reviews of ADS, ADAS systems and Tesla. They're just like, eh. I don't know how Consumer Reports spelled that, but like when I saw it, I was like, oh, I get how to pronounce it. And now I understand what an umlaut's for, um, just to look fun. But, but so this is a, a, another thing where it's just... Um, Tesla's, you know, little, uh, little dangerous. Um, they've had to recall 363,000 of them because of the fears of the full self-driving system does not follow speed limits and can be dangerous around intersections. It's got reports of phantom braking. Um, people make fun of you. They think, ha, 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 ha. Okay, that's just me. I mean, I honestly thought they were pretty cool, but then uh, you two have ruined my life. Yeah, there are a lot of problems that they need to address, and they're doing so in a way that's, far less than transparent and doesn't really give, you know, it certainly doesn't give us a lot of confidence that they're correcting some of these issues. Oh, well, oh, well, poor Tesla. Um, Okay, let's jump to the other side of the pond. I mean, as uh, as good Americans who are fully covered in bedazzled accoutrements, uh, 
we've been asking the question um who's liable with a self-driving car like we don't know is it is it you as the passenger is it you as if you can buy these things are you liable well the good old king the british government announced on tuesday that under a framework for advancing autonomous vehicles it would hold the manufacturers of self-driving cars legally responsible for any accidents rather than the owners a decision embraced by both insurance companies and AV startups. The most surprising thing to me was that the this decision was embraced by AV startups. Wow, this is this is wild. What are the odds of this coming across the Atlantic? And I, you know, hopefully they're good. Um, I think that you know, for fully vehicles that are claimed to be fully autonomous, this is almost necessary. I mean, who? Who are you going to blame? You're going to blame the guy who uh, got on his Uber app and hopped in the Waymo when the Waymo hits another vehicle. There's just, there's really, I don't think there's a really good way under, you know, the, the law we already have established in America and most states and federally that allows for someone to be liable for an incident where they really had zero control over what was going on. So I expect that's going to happen here sooner or later um the real question is when you get into the level two and level three um where there is a requirement for human takeover whether they're going to whether the liability there will be you know placed on the manufacturer or of the system or will it be as we fear in level twos at least for now placed on consumers who you know aren't fully paying attention to the driving task or are, you know, pretending that their vehicle can drive itself when in fact it can't. Um, but that said, I think the the other thing in this article I enjoyed was seeing that King Charles actually plays a role in announcing policy issues. And, and you know, I, I didn't expect the king to come out like that. I don't remember the queen, his mom doing that. Do you? I, I don't, I don't know. The queen coming out and talking about autonomous driving liability just doesn't seem like something that would have happened. I, I just love the fact that, like, to announce something like this, you have a guy, like, wearing a cape and holding a scepter and a silly little crown. Like, how do you – maybe that's why they're okay with this because they're like, this is hilarious. This is a 78-year-old man playing dress <laughs> up <laughs> trying to announce, oh, and full self-driving. Like, it's ridiculous. If that's what it takes to get it done in America, then I'll accept the king. <laughs> So this is an article uh, that we're talking about from investing.com. And uh, what it ends with is interesting is that the proposed bill to introduce procedures for probing incidences and enhancing the safety infrastructure alongside defining the criteria for classing a vehicle as classifying a vehicle as self-driving car. Uh, so just what you're talking about, Michael, between the difference between level two, which is like your lane keeping assist, automatic emergency braking, uh, things like that, versus level three, which is kind of what Mercedes has in Nevada, which, hey, you can take your hands off the wheel in these certain circumstances. And level four and five with level five is just like, woohoo, take your pants off, go nuts, no shoes. Um, I still don't even understand what level five is. <laughs> no, I, it's, you know, it is a unicorn that has yet to be developed. So that's I mean, some, maybe U.S. legislators, I, as I say this, I I just picture uh, members of the Republican Party saying no, um, will will uh, help clarify and define what they mean by full self-driving car and actually putting the liability on the manufacturers of said vehicle. 
as opposed to the owners or occupants. The British Standards Institute is years ahead of NHTSA and promulgating rules and procedures and even uh, even just the nomenclature associated with self-driving vehicles. They're, they're really doing a pretty bang up job of that. No pun intended, but um, <laughs> they're, they're putting a lot of energy and attention into it. It was odd to see the king and all of the king's regalia uh, making such an announcement. But by the way, is that Ermine robe left over from his mother? Is that they fit the same size robe or how does that work? Don't know. I mean, it, there's not a big market for Ermine robes these <laughs> days. It must have must be some tailor involved there. What is this? Uh, Seville Row? What, what do they what do they get there? Savile Row, yeah, yeah. Savile Row yeah. suits. It, it it could be maybe it's just a leftover from King Philip and they like sent it to the dry cleaner. I don't know. Um <laughs> you know, maybe they have, you know, they've got, you know, the the male robe, the female robe. I don't I don't you know, hey listeners, if you're uh listening, you know, let us know. Um and if you're listening and paying attention at home, this is a uh, Two votes of Fred against America saying the British are better at something and he's against bedazzling. And I just but, want to know, listeners, please don't let us know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is wrong. While you look, I, you I'm, done with, I'm done with the monarchy talk for today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can go to autosafety.org, click donate. And uh, well, while you're doing that, you can tell us all about the monarchy because I'll read them and it'll be great. But hey, speaking of listeners sending us information, let's get into the uh, the Tower of Fred this week. This is prompted by a uh, a devout listener from Kingston, New York, who I once shared a bunk bed with. Uh, he was responding to our uh, our questions and comments around EVs, uh, and Michael writes in: My previous car was a Prius, averaging forty five miles per gallon at current gas prices, about seven point five cents a mile for fuel. He now has a Kona EV and at current utility rates, 5.7 cents a mile based on my actual miles per gallon and kilowatts per hour slash mile based on personal mileage over 100,000 miles with my Prius and over 36,000 miles with my Kona. Uh, repair maintenance cost much lower. Plus, my chances of being involved in a fire is much lower in an EV versus a hybrid. So he's very much on the EV bandwagon. Um, and he found an EV that's relatively inexpensive, which is not easy to do. Right. And I believe he got this EV used. I think it was, I think it had like one year of use on it already. I don't think they got it brand new. Um, but they love this car. Um, so, so, uh, we, we, we put this in front of Mr. Perkins and said, do the math because this is a very uh, this is uh, it's not clear of the total cost of ownership of of an EV versus an ICE vehicle. Um, so we 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 he put on his math hat. He busted out a protractor, took it an abacus, and uh, he went to work. You've now Just entered the, the Dow Fred. Fred. I guess we we've waited long enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, first of all, thank you for the comment. We do read the mail, and this is a particularly interesting note that we got. So, I went ahead and I did my own little life cycle analysis, excuse me, of the EV versus the hybrid and also uh, the same vehicle with a, a ICE, internal combustion engine, just to see how that stacks up. And it's interesting. And, and 
not only is it interesting, it's complex because depending on where you draw the lines around your life cycle cost, you can come up with uh, very different results. So if you look at the at the propulsion cost without considering depreciation of the battery or the vehicle, um, you come up with, of course, exactly the numbers that have been recorded by our listener. But if you extend it a little bit and you say, well, what about the battery? They're going to wear out. It's going to be replaced. Um, you've got depreciation charges you have to accumulate in there. And then if you look at the entire vehicle, right, the balance of the vehicle, well, it's depreciating too. It doesn't stay new forever. And uh, so what I did is I said, all right, let's assume that all of these vehicles will go for 150,000 miles, which in my experience is about when modern vehicles start to really crap out. And uh, look at the trade-in cost at that time, or the trade-in value at that time as the basis for the depreciation. And that's like 90% of the value is gone in the first 150,000 miles. So that's the number that I used. So if you include all that, if you include the battery depreciation as well as the fuel charge, um, I came up with a cost per mile for propulsion only, which is just the fuel and the battery of, uh, well, let's see, I've got 13 cents for the Kona ICE, and I've got 12 cents for the uh, a Prius, which is comparably priced, comparably equipped. So I've also got eight cents for Prius using the uh, pretty extraordinary claim of a hundred and what was it? The hundred and uh, uh, hundred and twenty-seven miles per gallon equivalent that Toyota uses. And if you do that, you come up with a with a number of like eight cents. But that's based on a replacement charge for the battery of about $15,000 for the Kona with the EV uh, and much less, about $3,500 for the replacement battery of the uh, of the Prius because, of course, it's a much smaller battery. But the Kona came in at 0.16, right? I'm, I'm sorry, what? Didn't hear that the Kona EV came in at about 0.16 on the um, yeah cost of on charge. the propulsion charge, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's a little higher, but I think the real message here is that given the variability and the assumptions that you make and everything that's going along with the cars, there's really very little to choose from. I mean, the propulsion charge for the, for these three vehicles, but if you look at the overall cost of the cars, the EV is much more expensive than the, um, well, it's not much more expensive. It's a little bit more expensive than a comparable Prius. So you've got 33500 as the MSRP for a brand new Kona EV, the base trim. You've got 32675 for the Prius. So I'm sure they compare against each other and come up with comparable charges for that. But if you subtract the value of the battery from the resale value, because I assume the battery is going to be worn out at the end of 150,000 miles in both cases, then if you're going to turn the car over to the next person, somebody's got to absorb the cost of that battery replacement. 
if you're fortunate enough to sell the car to somebody who doesn't understand that the battery's depreciated and what the charge is going to be, well, then then you're doing okay. But we don't even, recommend that. We don't recommend that. No, that <laughs> that doesn't seem great. And the same thing is true with the Prius. If people don't recognize the battery's wearing out and you've got to replace it, um, then they're underestimating the actual cost of the of the vehicle. So I, you know, looking at this analysis my own way and looking at the total cost for the for the two vehicles, they're, they're comparable. There's not a lot to compare unless you credit the seventy five thousand seventy five hundred dollar rebate that may be available for the EV. Now, I don't know that it is. Those rules are kind of complex, but it you know that may be an offset. And different states uh, offer tax incentives for EVs. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that that could be a factor as well, but it's been reported in in other uh, venues that the resale value of the EVs is actually plummeting a lot because of people starting to recognize the cost of the battery replacement that's coming up. So, again, another variable that's in there. Um, but so there's annual operating costs for an ICE vehicle that EV doesn't have. Um, very basic being, you know, oil changes, um, brakes inside an ICE vehicle wear out quicker than an EV if you're using regenerative braking. Um, so the annual, so my thought process is, okay, in 150,000 miles, I have to replace the battery in my EV. The frame structure of the vehicle should probably be more or less fine. Uh, the cars don't turn into rust buckets like they used to. Uh, there's a lot less moving parts than that will fall apart and fail as in an ICE vehicle that are more expensive to deal with. Uh, but over that 10, 15 year period, I've saved a ton of money by not having to spend a whole bunch of you know, costs and time on regular ICE vehicle maintenance, which an EV just doesn't have. Well, maybe another another aspect of that though is that the ICE vehicle technology is quite mature, right? People know how to make engines that last a long time. Uh, and in my case, my Subaru needed to have a head gasket replaced on 150,000 miles, and I sold it to my brother. And I won't tell you how much I charged him for it. And uh, he's been running it for another 100,000 miles after that, so they can last a really long time. This is in contrast with the batteries, which are surely going to degrade and wear out after X number of uh, X number of cycles. Also, I assumed in my calculations that you were charging a uh, hundred bucks every ten thousand miles for uh, an oil change in both the ICEs, both the Prius and the. Uh, and the conventional ICE, as well as a thousand dollars every forty thousand miles for the higher level maintenance that you need in the ICEs, it still comes out, you know, to have a comparable cost per mile and a comparable cost of ownership. Now, I actually went to the um, AAA, which has a publication they call "Your Driving Costs," and they update that each year. And uh, they look at lots of different types of vehicles, all the way from small sedans up to uh, giant pickup trucks. And uh, for this year, they've broken out the hybrid vehicle versus electric vehicle on their analysis as well. 
But what they come up with is a total cost per mile for the of a hybrid vehicle, <clears throat> excuse me again, uh, 54.3 cents. And for the full EV, they come up with 56 cents, right? So 50, 54 cents versus 56 cents per mile. Again, I think that those differences are unsubstantial because of the assumptions made and the variability in people's cars and weather and where they're located, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm not sure you can really say it's 54 versus 64 or 44, somewhere in that range. But the point is that it comes out about even. And I'm sure that the people who are pricing these vehicles at the manufacturers are looking at each other to make sure they come out about even within a particular kind of vehicle class. Um, so there is that. So we thank the, the listener for the information that they've so carefully recorded. It's very interesting stuff. I think, you know, I think the real answer is that they're comparable cost per mile. Uh, energy is energy. If you get it from gasoline or you get it from the electric charge, it's, you know, ultimately it's going to come out about the same. It's sort of like water flowing through a system of pipes. It all comes up to the same level, uh, more or less. And uh, so that's what I've shown. Okay. But, but, uh, you know, you can go to the AAA site and you can plug in your own numbers if you wish. They've got a calculator there that you can use and come up with your own answer for that. Um, interesting exercise. A lot of people do it a lot of different ways. It's a very important question. Yeah, that's what we've seen. It seems uh, that it always kind of more or less kind of seems to break even. It's it's weird. I think in this uh, listener's case, I think they might get a, an advantage from one from buying it uh, used, so they got a discount on it, but also they have solar on their house, so I think that probably well, no, lowers their cost. One thing I'm concerned about here is, that, you know, looking into the the Hyundai warranty, it suggests that you know, the drivetrain warranty covers the battery, and the drivetrain warranty cannot be transferred from the original owner to the secondary owner. So your battery is functionally not covered by a warranty if you buy a used v one of these vehicles used. Oh, is, that is that's, that's a potential problem. One of the things that I was looking at here, and I'm also wondering, you know, is, are we just looking at an era where people are going to be getting rid of their cars quicker because no one's going to be willing to pay, you know, 10, 15, whatever the cost is, $1,000 to replace a battery on a, you know, 8, 10, 12-year-old car? I don't know. That's that's interesting. But I I think we're still just in the very early stages of EV technology and, and battery technology for this stuff. Um, but let's come, jump into the, the second part of his uh, his note was, uh, plus my chance of being involved in a fire is much lower in an EV versus a hybrid. Now, this is the, the case where we've run into where like, oh, EVs, they catch on fire all the time. And, and that's not true. It's ICE vehicles, internal combustion engines. They, they catch on fire when they're not on at a much higher rate than EVs. Now, does an EV versus a hybrid, is that? Hybrid actually, a... I believe, has a higher fire rate than both because they've got really? both a battery and an internal combustion engine as part of their makeup. So they come with all the fire risks of the internal combustion engine plus the fire risks of a battery. I don't have access to any data that supports 
that kind of analysis. So I simply don't know. What I do know is that the EV batteries have many more cells than the hybrid batteries. Yeah. And the cell and the fires that they produce are going to be much worse, right? Well, and also the cell manufacturing defects, simply because there are more cells, are more likely to occur in the EVs. And the internal cell defects can propagate through the whole battery. So I just I don't have information that says one type is more hazardous than the other. I do know that in all cases, it's still pretty rare. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen any indication that there's one catastrophic design versus other designs. Right. Uh, but this is an article, uh, if you're a Wall Street Journal subscriber or you can find out a way around their paywall, uh, not that we would suggest doing that. There was an article that came, out, <laughs> that came out this morning uh, talking about how fire departments are dealing with EV fires, electric vehicle fires, and the best way to extinguish an, a flaming electric vehicle might be just let it burn out. Uh, from the article, uh, first responders in Franklin, Texas, uh, Franklin, Tennessee, faced their first burning EV in September, a Nissan Leaf that ignited while charging outside the carmaker's North American headquarters. They spent hours pouring 45,000 gallons of water on the car compared with the 500 to 1,000 gallons that fires involving gasoline-powered vehicles usually need. Um, the fire marshal said, I think if we were faced with a similar scenario next time, we might need to let it burn. Uh, this is, a, and, and again, this is, I think this is specific just to the lithium ion batteries. I don't know if the iron batteries, if they have the similar thing or if they propose sodium ion batteries are similar. Well, those aren't yet in, in production. So only yeah. the lithium ion batteries are in production right now. What about the iron ones? The, was the LPF battery that Florida I think they Tesla had a much using? lower rate of fire than the lithium. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Are they in production? I don't know that to be so. Yeah, Ford, the, lith- Ford the lithium iron phosphate batteries, they're That's a little heavier. They have a lower rate of fire. Uh, I think Ford, I believe, is trying Ford to make Ford has them and Tesla have them. Yep. Yeah, they have less range. Uh, they take a little longer to charge, uh, but you can recharge them a lot. more. They can go through a lot more cycles than a yeah. lithium ion battery. They are not the solution to the weight problem. No. They go well, the I wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. So, listeners, yeah, we'd love more uh, input on your your EV um, choices and and lifestyle, and uh, you know what kind of bedazzling you put inside your car, because uh, you know uh, maybe EV owners use a different type of bedazzle. I don't know. Yeah, and we wonder, you know, on this on that article, you know, letting a we've talked before about the products of, you know, there's some pretty scary products of fires that occur in EVs from a chemical standpoint. I believe in the article, it even noted that the firefighter compared the emissions from a typical internal combustion engine fire to Pez candy, uh, right. Compared to what the electric vehicles are putting out. Um, so there's, you know, I don't know what the solution is, whether it's to let the let it burn out or to soak it with water that's going to leach its way into the environment, you know, wherever the water drains to. Um, it's kind of a lose-lose situation, hoping we can find ways to extinguish these fires quicker um, without polluting so much and without using so much water. Yeah, I'm going to introduce a walk-on topic here. 
And uh, well, I'll allow it. It's got to do with ADAS, though, and, and my recent experience having my car repaired. And it turns out that repair of cars with ADAS systems is an nearly eternal nightmare for the people who are responsible for that. Uh, in the case of my car, it took, uh, well, it took forever to get the body damage fixed. I have a Subaru. And once the body damage was fixed, they had to recalibrate the eyesight system, which is the heart of the ADAS system that's on board the uh, Subaru. And so they tried to do that. They brought it in and set it up on the rack. And it turns out that very few people have the uh, machinery necessary to do the calibration of these cars. It costs about half a million dollars that they have to invest in the, in the uh, repair facility. And when they put it up on the machine, uh, they couldn't do it because one of the cameras had died. So they ordered a new camera overnight, which took two weeks to come in. And then uh, once they put the additional camera in, uh, two weeks later, which of course is costing me because I have to pay for the rental car. Um, they put it up on their machine and they still couldn't do it. They brought it to the Subaru dealer who is nearby, who also has a calibration machine and the Subaru dealer couldn't do it. Well, it turned out that they had uh, changed the software version in the computer for the newest cameras that they were putting out. And they had neglected to tell the service people worldwide that they needed to download new software. <laughs> and so uh, so after the two weeks had gone by, the they brought it back to the original repair shop. They tried to download the software for a day, 16 times, couldn't do it uh, just because of connectivity issues or who knows what. They brought it back to the Subaru dealer who was then able to download the software, all of these all of these tow trucks going back and forth across the city. Uh, once they had downloaded the software at the Subaru dealer, Subaru dealer was backed up, so they had to bring it back to the original repair shop to put it back on the calibration rig and uh, recalibrate it, recalibrate the system, which they finally did. So I, I just want to point out that and repair the ADAS systems, it's a nightmare. You got a new, you got to put in a new windshield, you got to put in new systems. The whole repair apparatus is very poorly supported by the manufacturers. Uh, you've got all the issues associated with software, software upgrades, software upgrades being validated, and also the regression analysis that's necessary to make sure that it works with the existing setup, or alternatively to let people know that they have to upgrade their existing setup so that they can use the new software. What a nightmare. This, this took you know weeks and weeks to get resolved. Uh, just a warning for people who are buying the ADAS systems and a warning for the insurance companies that you're going to encounter thousands of dollars of unanticipated expenses as you try to restore your ADAS system to its original performance level. This is a warning for the auto manufacturers to realize, oh, if you're becoming a software company, 
you're becoming a software company because, oh, we've changed cameras in this model and our software only works with that. Oh, you downloaded the newest version of this software. It doesn't work with your car. Your car is bricked. Like that scenario is definitely, definitely coming. Uh, but this is good. This goes into a uh, an article from Repair Drive News. Repair Driven News. Repairer Driven News. Oh, that's, I mean, they might as well just name a, a, a car. This is ridiculous. Uh, but just real quick from this, uh, in a new report, the Institute of Motor Industry, uh, this is a UK thing, said that while 44% of the UK uh, cars have level two autonomy by 2030, the industry will be short by about 51,000 qualified technicians at the same time. Uh, they'll need about 100,000 technicians to work on ADAS systems by 2030. So, hey, if you're looking for a gig, uh, learn how to fix an ADAS system. Yeah, I mean, with with NHTSA starting to mandate some of this tech to go into all vehicles, automatic emergency braking, um, you're going to see a need for this um, much more than ever because it's going to be coming out into every car versus the way it's been staggered voluntarily into some vehicles over the last uh, nine, ten years. So there's going to be a definite shortage in America of qualified facilities to calibrate and repair ADAS equipment. Well, and a shortage of capital, too, to set up the businesses so that they can actually do the calibration. It's a half a million dollars a pop is not something that the repair industry is used to doing to set up their garage. Hey, GM, they, they have repair service centers, right? General Motors? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, maybe if instead of spending two and a half billion dollars a year on Kyle's toy, they could, uh, you know, spend it on something that will actually turn a profit for them. Ha! And now Recall Roundup. Strap in. Uh, let's start off roundup. with the most adorable recall of all time. This is from Mercedes. Yes. Mercedes 2020 Mercedes-Benz GLS 580. Now, if you're going to spend that kind of money on a Mercedes-Benz, don't you think it should have a better name? Then GLS 580. It seems like very technical. Sounds very German. Anyway, uh, this is oh, number of potential vehicles involved is eight. Eight vehicles. <laughs> what? Okay. Mercedes has a few of those small. They, I mean, look, they are very, as, as far as recalls go, they are very responsible when it comes to finding them and ferreting them out. This um, is amazing. Eight. So, so Mercedes yeah. uh, has determined that on certain model Y, a model year 2020 GLS, the 167 platform, on certain, specifically eight of them, uh, the sunroof control unit software might not meet current production specifications. In this case, the sunroof might automatically close when the vehicle's quote-unquote car wash mode is activated. Now, wouldn't you want the sunroof to close when the car wash mode is activated? Or do yeah. you want to, I mean, so, so what's the recall? And and just for eight people, can't they just like show up at their house, like bring some tea and like martinis or something? Well, I mean, they 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 could just wash the car with Dawn soap and a sponge, but you know, it's <laughs> it's probably easier to go to the car wash and do it. Um, basically, it it um, doesn't comply with the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. Um, eight cars, they, though. They have an anti-pinch uh, procedure in that standard that prevents things like fingers from getting caught in um, windows that are rolling up. And 
for whatever reason, um, the automatic closure that's allowed by this uh, software, by car wash mode, um, which is certainly a new term for me, yeah. um, it's it doesn't comply with the motor vehicle safety standard. So it looks like there's, you know, it's just a software issue that they're going to correct to fix it. That's great. Good, good on Mercedes for recalling eight cars. I I love it. Uh, let's move on to Toyota. Uh, Toyota isn't telling the owners of 1.9 million recalled Rav F Rav Four SUVs to park them outdoors, even though the U.S. safety investigators have four complaints about engine fires that can start with the vehicle's ignition turned off. Now, I think we mentioned the Rav Four issue of this last week. If not, we talked about it right after the show. So, yeah, I think we did. That was this is an a, a interesting one because Toyota the the skinny on it is Toyota equipped these RAV4s with a slightly different type of battery that's got a different size. It's not a common size battery. Um, and so they had a couple of years ago in 2021, I, my daughter has one of these cars. I got a recall, not even a recall notice, a customer bulletin type notice in the mail that gave me a sticker to put on the battery, um, housing, which says basically you got to make sure you've got the right kind of battery in here. It won't fit. It can cause a lot of problems. Number one, it can be disconnected easily from, you know, it's providing power to the vehicle because it's been jostled around because the bracket's not holding it properly. Um, the fire issue is present. Uh, we even saw a crash where one of these batteries came loose after a deer hit a vehicle. The vehicle shut down in the middle of the road with no lights and an oncoming vehicle struck the car and killed uh, a couple of members of a family who were stranded um, in the road. So wow. this battery's had this battery design has had some issues. Um, and NHTSA's appeared, they opened an investigation on this. So they've stayed on top of Toyota on this issue. They've looked into the fires. I'm still not sure why they didn't issue a park outside warning um because you know four of these fires have occurred when the vehicles parked um it could be parked under someone's house or in a parking garage so that's something that that I, I, we could critique here but mainly i think our critique is that it took toyota so long to do this recall when there was a pretty clear safety issue they knew about in 2021 so this could have happened a lot longer ago um and fires aren't the only risk here i mean you're talking about a loose battery that could you know compromise your vehicle's power at any time yeah i don't understand why they would use a non-standard battery size i thought all like those 12 volt battery they're 12 volt batteries inside a car i thought they were all the same size i thought they're all the same thing yeah and it looked like a miscalculation by toyota as to um you know how batteries are generally repaired and it looked like they just didn't quite do their due diligence on the repair and the repair problems that this would present Fred, you're muted but you seem very Fred's animated. Just cuss, he, he's yeah, still exactly he's like deer. dog yeah. engineering batteries so stupid Deers cause all these problems <laughs> Now you're still muted. It's uh, it's sad, but um, 
I can We're read lips. Fred out for the day. And and Fred said that Anthony, you're a very attractive man, and you are the spawn of Satan at the same time. Very strange, Un- unbelievable. I don't know why he would say that to me. Um, but I'm back. Oh damn it! Okay. No, I was just going to say the batteries are different sizes. A, a diesel car will have a much bigger battery than a, a ICE car, for example. But, so they come in many different sizes, Anthony. Oh, uh, well, I liked what I thought you said better. Um, so, okay, last one. Uh, you guys might remember this. We spoke about this a few months ago. The death wobble. This is about some Jeep owners claiming to experience violent wobbles at high speeds. Um, I think it's probably because their phone's ringing off the hook. Their accountant calling them saying, why did you buy a Jeep? Uh, but this is uh, an article uh, from we mentioned back in June. An Orlando man told Action 9 he fears getting behind the wheel of his Jeep Wrangler because of what he calls the death wobble and people giving him silly looks, a violent shaking he's felt at highway speeds. Uh, so what's going on with the latest of the death wobble, Michael? Well, what's going on is that this is the, at least the second investigation that's looked into over the years. They get a lot of complaints about this problem. So it's happening frequently to people and it scares the crap out of people. But there's literally in all the complaints and everything they've tracked down from the manufacturer, there are no crashes, no injuries, no fatalities, nothing. Um, so. I don't it's it's a tough one you know you really you have to be able to show that there's an actual safety risk if you're going to pursue a recall and here you can't really show anything other than that it's scaring the hell out of people um well you ever seen a size of one of these jeeps that just the size scares the hell out of me and i've driven them they're a lot of fun to drive don't get me wrong they're hilarious but they're a little big and there's there's also a lot of I don't know there's a lot of debate around what's causing this there's something in the suspension there's something going on but you know this is an issue that has plagued the Jeep Wrangler line for I don't know probably almost two decades now I mean it's it's a continual source of complaints continual source of owners being scared of it I've had neighbors with the issue and it's just a baffling problem and it makes you wonder why Stellantis hasn't gotten its you know uh big paws around this issue before now i mean I, I don't think that it's inherent to the design of the jeep wrangler but apparently and i've heard from many people that it may have to do with something involving the special suspensions that they have to enable off-road driving but you know who knows apparently you know chrysler doesn't know either they would have stopped this years ago and stopped staring, scaring their customers could be a future Hey, well, I think uh, that's the end of our show. Uh, this is the first time in a long time where we've not had a rearview camera issue. This that's is amazing. True. I mean, who knew? Uh, and Fred did not mention uh, that pig-based supermarket chain once. Uh, so, hey. Piggly Wiggly. Piggly <laughs> Wiggly. Got to get it in. The, the times, they are a-changing. Hey, listeners, thanks for listening, telling all your friends, giving us a five-star review, uh, going to autosafety.org, clicking donate, because it's that time of year. It's that time of year to open up your wallet and show your love for, for what we do. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.